Good morning, everyone. And wherever you find yourselves listening, welcome to church this Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, which leads us into Holy Week. It's a special day today because at this time when many of us feel so helpless, something very important is being asked of us. Something we know can really make a difference to this situation that we're in today between 3 and 4 p.m., All the church leaders on the island of Ireland, North and South, are asking us to come together in one spirit to pray. I remember a similar call going out recently in Australia when the bushfires were raging and God very quickly answering that prayer with sending rain. And I believe that he will hear our prayers too as we face the threat of COVID-19. So take the time later today, this afternoon, to pray for medical workers, for the sick, for families affected, for the vulnerable, for governments and churches. If you'd like some guidance in your praying, you can find resources on our Facebook page, McCracken Memorial, as well as some prayer points on our website, www.mccrackenchurch.com. There are also resources for prayer on the Presbyterian Church in Ireland website. For Good Friday, We hope to have posted on our website a meditation on Mark's Passion, and that's read by all the ministers of the South Belfast Presbytery. And I do hope that you'll be able to access that later on in the week. Parents of young children can also find up-to-date Sunday School resources on our website, and uh, there are a number of other things there as well. Over the past number of weeks, we've been sending out information by email, but we are aware that, that we don't have an email address for everyone so if you haven't been receiving those emails and we'd like to please contact me at the manse or Laura uh, on the office email. So let us find a quiet space now to worship God, to settle our thoughts upon him as we go through our prayers in this week's meditation. Uh, Maybe you may like occasionally in your worship to click on pause possibly to linger a little in prayer or to listen to some music. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Glorious God, we gather one in your spirit in the name of your Son Jesus. We come to worship and adore you not as a mindless crowd following a fad, but leaving aside our own expectations and assumptions, we come as devoted disciples, ready to offer all that we have, as Jesus offered all that he had, so that we might have life. We come united in our love for you, our only God, whose love for us has been shown by our Saviour dying on a cross to take away the sins of the world and to carry all our human afflictions. Love beyond our wildest imagination. And now we know the loving presence of Christ with us right where we are. We come to respond to your love in praise, in worship, in word and action and in silence, and listening, and in offering ourselves. 
Forgive us our sins, we pray, as we confess to you our weakness. In the pressure of our homes, tempers fray, hurtful words are spoken. We allow ourselves to be distracted and anxious instead of being still with you. We are quick to busy ourselves, but slow to do what is really needed at this time, to watch and pray. Lord, restore us today. We open our hearts to receive you afresh, the King of Peace, to reign in our lives in troubled times. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Our reading today is taken from Matthew's Passion Narrative in Matthew chapter 27 and we're reading from verses 11 through to 55. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Do you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd, at that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus 
into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Heal, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. And may God bless to us this reading of his word. During the eight years that I lived in that part of the world known as the Ring of Fire, I experienced a few minor earthquakes. The largest of them occurred 
during the day while I was at work, sitting at my desk in, the th- in a third floor office of Church House in Kubang. And Belfast, of course, were just not tuned in to these things. And so whenever the floor rumbled and rattled for a few seconds, I dismissed it as perhaps a heavy lorry driving past outside and sat on very calmly at my desk, continuing to work on my computer, completely oblivious to the fact that in those few seconds, in a flash, the entire building had vacated. And the local staff, as I sat on, were all gathered together in the grounds outside, shaken by what they knew without question to be an earthquake. Most of them, I guess, had already experienced much larger earthquakes and knew just how disconcerting, how frightening a thing they can be as the ground beneath your feet is violently shaken. The solid rock beneath our feet is the one thing, after all, that we assume that we can count upon to support us and to give us our footing. It's what we build on and it's how we get around. So when it suddenly becomes unstable and shifts beneath us, it's something very unsettling indeed. An earthquake is just one little detail in the long reading that I just read from Matthew's Gospel depicting for us the fast-moving chain of events that lead us up to Jesus' death on the cross. At that moment, we're told, the moment when Jesus gave up his spirit, the earth shook and the rocks split, almost as if creation itself were in crisis. Many of us, this Palm Sunday, or Passion Sunday as it's sometimes known, are and have been feeling that very same thing. The earth being shaken beneath our feet. Maybe not literally, but certainly metaphorically. Where everything that we counted upon as just part of our daily lives, how we go about our daily business, our work, our shopping, things that we took so much for granted, like meeting together in church, especially at Easter. Extended family dinners, outings, picnics, uh, things are no longer as we have for so long now simply come to expect them to be. And added to this, there is a palpable anxiety in relation to the unknown. And somewhere in that mix is a heightened sense of awareness of our own mortality and our own frailty. Our solid footing in life has been pulled out from under us. That picture of an earthquake describes very well how it must have felt too for Jesus' followers during those last few days leading up to the crucifixion. Um, Now for us who have the vantage point of the resurrection and who see now in the cross the forgiveness of our sins and Christ's victory over death and a symbol of God's sacrificial love, it's hard to put ourselves back in the sandals of those who witnessed those events as they happened and to understand how everything that they'd lived for the previous three years, one by one, in quick succession, those things came crashing down around them in those hours. Yes, Jesus had indeed been preparing his closest disciples for what was to come. But it's clear from their jostling for position and prominence outside the city gates 
that they just didn't get it. Along with the crowd, they continued to assume that everything would be as they had always expected it to be. Their way of seeing their, the world, their theological constructs, years of eager messianic expectation, the king come to redeem Israel. Here he is on this Palm Sunday about to enter the gates of Jerusalem to restore the nation to its former glory. Surely this was the moment when he would, with divine help, overthrow the Romans and their corrupt puppet king, Herod. You can almost feel the fervour, the excitement, the rebellion in the air of that first Palm Sunday. And perhaps only Jesus himself, maybe Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene seemed to have any sense of where this mission was truly taking him. And despite all that Jesus knows about impending betrayals, about imperfect motives and misguided ambitions, despite all that is amiss here, he humbles himself to willingly ride on into the city, the King of Kings stooping down in meekness and majesty. But as the week moves on, He's not meeting those expectations. He's not sticking to the programme. In fact, from that point onwards, one by one, those expectations come crashing down. Confusion, fear, loss of confidence on the part of his disciples will eventually lead to his abandonment by every last one of them. And then that earth-shattering moment when on the cross, their Messiah dies along with their dreams and their hopes. The Son of God crucified. This most righteous of human beings dying the most shameful, violent, dehumanising criminal's death. Like one forsaken by God, an earthquake of cosmic magnitude, let's not underestimate it. Disruption in the Godhead, disruption in creation. The earth shook and the rocks were split. And not just for the disciples at the time, but for us too, for people in every age at that moment, everything that we assumed, all in which we've come, become complacent, every ounce of over-familiarity, all that we believe about our world and about ourselves, what we think of as our righteousness, our self-reliance, our goodness, our worthiness, who shall be first, who shall be last. Things shaken, things turned around and twisted upside down, never to be the same again. At Golgotha, the ground literally shifted beneath our feet. It still does. It still does when we truly come to the cross and realise what it is. It causes an earthquake in our lives and it's very unnerving, it's very unsettling when we feel unanchored, disrupted, shaken. But it might just be where God needs us to be. It might just be where we need to be to truly know in our hearts that Jesus, when he died, died for us to do what we couldn't do, 
to atone for our sins, to bring us close to God, to realise that God is God and we are not, to come to the end of ourselves and our own expectations and plans and to find salvation in God's way for us, in the Christ who died and rose again. So if we're feeling our lives are severely disrupted, this Easter, feeling that the ground has shifted around us and beneath us. Let's take heart in the knowledge that we're not the first to have felt that way. Disruption on every level is very much part of the Easter story before we get to that equally earth-shattering resurrection morning. And maybe we've forgotten that aspect of Easter, how the cross disrupts our normal. Maybe we shouldn't be rushing back to what is normal. But as somebody said, using the time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to. The one person who seems calm and composed and focused through all of this is Jesus. He seems to know what he was doing. In fact, he seemed very much in control of what was happening. He'd already faced it in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'd waded up and he resolved to carry on to completion what he had been sent into the world to do. And as he stood before Pilate, there's no sense of fear or panic, um, but just this amazing courage and calm and serenity and authority. Not the calm that I had during that little earthquake in Kubang, which was really just ignorance or, or maybe stupidity. No, this was something else. This was the calm of Jesus knowing what was about to happen to him, yet continuing to trust and obey to the point of willfully laying down his life in love by giving himself over to be crucified on a cross for us. Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. And by this stage, he seems on the surface very much alone. He's abandoned by all his disciples. Or is he? Because at the tail end of this passage, there's another little detail that tells us that many women were there watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus all the way from Galilee to care for his needs. So he wasn't entirely alone. There was this sizable group of women who apparently had been there all along, all through the gospel story. They were there in the background all that time, almost invisible, in some ways distant, but apparently they had been a vital part of Jesus' ministry. And now, here they are, witnessing these final moments of his death from a distance. We thought he was alone, but there was this virtual community with him. And we're not sure whether they couldn't or maybe they wouldn't be there right at the foot of the cross for whatever reason. But in one way, even though it was at a distance, they were there. They were there in a way that was important enough for Matthew to mention them in his gospel account. And when the time was right, some of them 
would have a very important role to play. Some of them, in fact, would be the first witnesses of the resurrection, the first bearers of the good news of Christ's resurrection when Easter comes. What we are experiencing now may mean that for a while we can't be as a church visibly active or public in the way that we were not so long ago. But nevertheless, we are there, caring, supporting, loving, watching everything, virtually right there. And when the time is right, we too may have a special role to play. So as we from a distance witness the events of Palm Sunday leading through into Holy Week and Good Friday, right through to Easter morning, as we allow ourselves to feel the ground shaken beneath our feet, let's remember Jesus and his calm composure through the crisis of his betrayal and his trial. Jesus who died for us and is risen and who is with us in our crisis. When even the church, as we have known it, seems in crisis, Easter will still happen. Easter morning will come. When the ground shakes beneath you, fall upon him, anchored to the cross, where we witness the full extent of his mercy and love for us. Discover afresh the eternal, unshakable rock beneath our feet. That is Jesus, your hope and your salvation, our God, who is a never-present help in times of trouble. Amen. Let us now bring to God our prayers for others. Lord God, who hears our prayers, we ask as your people across Ireland call out to you that you would hear and answer our cries. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. I too often we thought ourselves too busy to pray, able to manage on our own, in no need of you as our lives trundled on through their well-worn routines. In this moment of fear and uncertainty, this shuddering interruption to daily life, the stillness of lockdown, the loss of so much uh, that we have taken for granted, Open our hearts to you, Lord, in prayer. Give us fresh voice in prayer. Impress upon us your greater willingness to answer than our eagerness to ask. Help us take confidence in your promises that as we ask, it will be given to us. As we seek, we will find. As we knock, the door will be opened to us. Show mercy in these days of suffering and death. Shed your light in our darkness. Supply grace sufficient to meet our need. This Palm Sunday, give us cause to cry with those that first Easter week. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As we experience King Jesus stooping down with meekness and majesty to save. 
Lord, being without a physical building to meet in as church reminds us that we are in fact the body of Christ worldwide. We are the church in lots of different places, in hospitals, in care homes, at the end of a phone, in grocery shops and pharmacies, in neighbourhoods and cities where you, Lord, have placed us. And we pray for your church in all of those places for an outpouring of love and compassion and service. We pray for our global mission workers, missionaries throughout the world, especially in areas with high rates of infection. Lord, give them words of hope and equip them to love and serve those around them. We pray for those worldwide who have to live in close proximity, being mindful particularly of those in slum areas or in refugee camps, those unable to practice the protocols of, self, uh, of social distancing. Lord, protect them from disease and provide isolation shelters in every place, we pray. We pray for those who are sick, that they will have access to the care and treatment they need. We pray too for peace and for perseverance amidst suffering, especially we pray for those in isolation who are cut off from their normal routines and support systems, that they would seek their strength in Jesus. We praise you, Lord, for the commitment and patience of those in voluntary isolation, and we pray that they will play a real part in slowing the spread of the virus. Help people on this lovely spring day to enjoy the pleasures of spring from their gardens or an open window or in their daily exercise without venturing into crowded areas. Lord, hear our prayers. And now may the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only Son bring you by faith to his life in all its fullness. May Christ, who accepted the cup of sacrifice in obedience to the Father's will, keep you steadfast as you walk with him the way of his cross. May the Spirit, who strengthens us to serve and to love and to suffer with Christ, that we may share his glory. Set your minds on life and peace. And the blessing of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, be with you and remain with you, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>